Hello and welcome back to Sinister Sisters. I'm Shrimp. I'm Cat, And we are your hosts. Today is True Crime Tuesdays and our story this week focuses on Dorothea Puente. This episode does deal with things such as child abuse, substance abuse, domestic violence, sexual abuse, and murder. So please listen with caution. Click off if you need to. Um, so, Dorothea Puente was born in 1929 in California as Dorothea Gray. Um, she was born to parents Trudy May and Jesse James Gray. Hmm. Into a less than ideal childhood. Her parents misused alcohol and abused and underfed her. Notably, her father would threaten suicide often and always in front of the children. But by 1938, both of her parents had died, sending Dorothea and her siblings to live in an orphanage where she was allegedly sexually abused. Can't catch a break. So she engaged in many dysfunctional relationships throughout young adulthood. Her first marriage, she was 16 and she married a soldier. Throughout this like young adulthood, Um, She showed a pattern of lying and deceiving, taking on multiple identities and personas. She served her first prison sentence in 1948 at 19 years old for attempting to purchase items using forged checks. Once she was released, she opened a brothel before being caught and sentenced in 1960. It's kind of like a turn of, like, forged checks to opening a brothel. It's kind of like... Just casual. Casual change. Job change. Do what makes you happy. (laughs) Um, in 1968, she married a man named Roberto Puente, who was her fourth and final husband. She divorced him in 1968 due to domestic violence, and she tried to serve him with divorce papers in 1967, but he fled to Mexico, <laughs> so they weren't legally divorced until 1973, and she was granted a restraining order against him in 1975, but she used his last name for the rest of her life. Vibe. Um, following her divorce from him, she began running a boarding house in Sacramento. Um, she established herself within the community and took on a caring grandmother-type persona. She would make herself seem older than she was by, you know, wearing vintage clothing and wearing glasses and things like that. She claimed to be independently wealthy and donated sums of money to various charities and organizations throughout the city. No one really knows where this money came from, but she wasn't actually independently wealthy. She was a thief. (laughs) she established a boarding house as a safe place to go um and she helped people to gain some independence she took people in um with addictions people that were homeless people with disabilities and people who were very very elderly so the most vulnerable of people and social workers that worked with her said that she was basically a godsend at the time because she would take in residents who were considered like difficult to take care of or you know needed a little bit extra support and that was hard to find for them in time period so so she did that and then in 1978 she was convicted of cashing 34 state and federal checks that belonged to her tenants and she was only sentenced to probations and ordered to pay restitutions 34 state checks anyways in 1982 This lady, her name's Ruth Monroe, she was a friend of Dorothea's and she moved in to the upstairs apartment that Dorothea had above her, like, so she lived in an apartment in this house above her tenants. She moved in, Ruth moved in because her husband was very ill and she needed financial and emotional support to go through the trauma. But shortly after she moved in, she died of an overdose of codeine and acetaminophen. Her Her family 
was adamant from the beginning that this was a murder, but the police believed Dorothea when she said that it was a suicide and that she was not feeling great because of the way that her husband was feeling. Um, on November 11th, the police inquired after the, or of the disappearance of a tenant last seen living at Dorothea's house after he was reported missing by his social worker. Police noticed that some of the soil was disturbed on Dorothea's property and they uncovered a body of a previous tenant named Leona Carpenter. Um, seven bodies were eventually found on the property, although Dorothea, for some reason, was not originally a suspect. They were what? on her property. They were like, I don't know how they do it, but they dated them that they died while she owned this property, but she wasn't considered a suspect. Really? Some believe it's because... Yeah, because of her, um, like, persona that she'd portrayed oh. to this community, that she was this lovely woman, and why would she be murdering people, right? So, she was allowed to leave the property, she was allowed to move around freely, and she went to get a cup of coffee. Um, and Priorities. while she was getting this, yes, while she was getting this cup of coffee, she fled to Los Angeles to get away from the prosecution and everything that was happening at her boarding house. Um, she was tended by an acquaintance that recognized her from the news. Um, Good. So the total, yeah, that's nice that someone, you know, actually was able to recognize her and turn her in. The total number of deaths that have been attributed to her is attributed to her is nine. Um, but she was sentenced in 1993 to three of them because the jury could not decide on the other six. They were held out 11 to 1. My goodness. And of course, there's the conspiracy theory that somehow she was able to pay people or pay oh, that juror or whatever. That yeah. was never, never proven or anything. She was incarcerated in Central California's women facility for life without parole, and she stayed there until her death in 2011 at the age of 82. It's wild that she wasn't originally a suspect. Yeah, that's... Like, these people are, like, that's weird. Like, their body is on your, like, property. You've been known to cash people's checks that aren't yours. And who else would they, like, who else could possibly be a suspect? Isn't that the first thing I, that detectives always go for is, like, the obvious close people that you live with? You would think, yeah. It's so strange. But I couldn't find information on anybody who was actually an original suspect. Mm. Um, just that she wasn't one hmm. this case actually mm. is featured in the netflix docuseries called worst roommate ever yeah. <laughs> it's like the very first yeah. episode and it's very interesting i found that documentary or docuseries to yeah. be really good i've seen it they, they like you've seen it yeah i really liked the like illustrated bits and bobs that they had to kind of like recreate the scenes that much less cringy than like those weird stock actors that they usually get to recreate true crime things. <laughs> yeah, those are so weird. <laughs> yeah. This case like particularly troubled me of those ones because in the documentary it like opens with the social worker who had originally like kind of put her under suspicion and that she mm -hmm. was she was so upset that that had happened to her client that her client had been murdered by Dorothea. Um, I don't know. It just really struck me. I work in the like social work field and I have worked with homelessness in the past. And yeah, pe people are very vulnerable. I, I just think it's sad that it was like maybe controversially, but I can, 
I can understand some murder, like crimes of passion, or, you know, some of them have a more maybe justifiable than others. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but this is just people who needed a home, you know? They weren't hurting anybody, they didn't do anything to her, they just needed a home, but she figured that she needed their money more. I also think that um, I have heard that the money that she was donating around pretty much solely came from those social security checks. So it was like she was making this name for herself from stealing from her clients yeah, or from her tenants. that's gross. Gross? Very gross. gross. Yeah. I guess I should suggest that she was wanted, the prosecution wanted her to be sentenced to death. But because of that one holdout, they, on the jury, they finally agreed to a conviction of two first-degree murder counts, including special circumstances, and one second-degree murder count. Oh. Yes. So she wasn't found guilty of everything, and because of that, they couldn't go for the death penalty. Um, But the prosecutor's final statement was, does anyone become responsible for their conduct in this world? These people were human beings. They had a right to live. They did not have a lot of possessions, no houses, no cars, only their social security checks and their lives. She took it all. Death is the only appropriate penalty. And I think that just kind of sums up what we were just talking about, that they had nothing and she took them anyway. That's a very powerful statement. Yeah, that is from the prosecution, um, John O'Mara. It really surprises me that she wasn't convicted on everything. That one holdout, it doesn't, yeah. I guess because they also, they were all killed in the same way. According to investigators, most of her victims had been drugged until they overdosed and wrapped in bed sheets and plastic lining before dragging them to open pits in the backyard for burial. It seems weird that, because they're all murdered in the same way, they're all buried in the same place, they're all relatively, like, killed in relatively the same time frame, and they were all um, tenants of this lady's. It's weird that they didn't, yeah, I don't know. I couldn't find anything on why they didn't prosecute on all, or why they didn't, the jury didn't believe all nine were hers, but. Yeah. Yeah, that's really strange. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that was the deal they came to because of that holdout. Maybe like they, did they initially charge her with all nine? Um, So she was being charged with all nine, mm. Um, but the jury was deadlocked 11 to one for conviction on all counts. So maybe you're right. Maybe they came to that agreement of because the loan holdout finally agreed to two first degree murder counts and one second degree murder count. Hmm. So maybe that was the like the uh, whatever it's called compromise. Yeah. Interesting. Yes, that is all I have for today. Mm-hmm. Well, that was great. Thank you. Thank you. Whee! If you, I would highly recommend the documentary if you want to hear more about this lady and i think i watched it a while ago but i think it goes into quite good detail yeah and of course they have interviews with people who were there so that's always good yeah it's i agree i second and that's called worst roommate ever on netflix all right okay folks that's it from us today thank you for tuning in you can find us on instagram at sinister sisters pod I don't know. I'm going to look to make sure we get it right this time. Sinistersisters.podcast. Um, you can Yes. Email. We can also... Yep. Sorry. Email go ahead. Email us at sinistersisterspod at gmail.com. Yeah. 
And that's it right now. That's all the only ways you can contact us. Um, there's also <laughs> a case request form that will be linked oh, in there is. our bio. So you can send stories, uh, true crime stories you'd like us to cover, or palate cleansery stories for our Friday. Yes. It's a good thing you remembered that, because I didn't. Ooh. Okay, thank okay. you for tuning in. Bye! <laughs> Bye! Bye! <laughs> Bye. Hang us up. Hang up on the recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>